As far as we can tell, the word superhero dates back to at least 1917. It was defined as a public figure of great accomplishments. Of course, around the 1960s or so, the term became better known in the comic world and all but took over its meaning. But more recently, like all cultural touchstones, the word has continued to morph into more meanings. This simple categorization of comic book characters soon became an adjective to describe someone who was swept in and saved the day. Eventually, this meaning split into two etymological pathways. In one direction, the word's own popularity began to water down the power of its meaning. You got me a large order of fries when I only asked for a medium? You're so my superhero. It got overused. It was too broad, and so it dissipated into a kind of saran wrap, invisible, flimsy, and temporary. But along the other pathway, the word began to describe a person who has fundamentally changed our lives for the good, and usually, although not necessarily, over a long period of time. When used like this, the word superhero evokes the kind of power one person has lent to the life, sometimes the very substance, of the speaker themselves. And to hear it used can be extraordinarily touching. and Mount. In this podcast, we strive to bring you stories and interviews not about the great works that enjoy the bright light of day, but about the hidden source that fuels their creation, that fuels everything. Welcome to The Well. This last winter, I got a call. It was my manager asking if I'd be interested in portraying the live-action version of one of the most revered characters in the Marvel Comics universe, Black Bolt, the enigmatic and silent king of the Inhumans. Now, just to make this perfectly clear, I was a Marvel Comics fanatic as a child. I'm not kidding. I used to write letters to Stan Lee with character ideas so much that he finally wrote back a very nice, very complimentary response which ended with the very clear message that there were currently no vacant positions in the 11-year-old stalker division. I still have it, and I still have my collection. So you can probably guess what my answer was. One of the best parts of shooting the Inhumans was getting to spend time with the extraordinary group of humans that Marvel had cast in the other roles. Having just begun curating interviews for the well, I took thorough advantage of their kindness and asked them all, a very simple question. Who's your superhero? This is really, um, this is gonna sound really cliche and really corny, but I, it makes me even teary kind of thinking about, I mean it in all sincerity. Um, my mom, 
My mom, I don't know, it's such a weird, I didn't think that it would make me feel emotional. This is Ellen Waglam. She plays Louise on our show, the only earthling in the cast. And Ellen's perfect for the role. Because when you talk to her, you kind of get that feeling that she's a fish out of water, but just happy to be wherever she is. When we had her cast dinner before we started shooting, Ellen leaned over to me and whispered, I kind of want the lobster, but it's the most expensive thing on the menu. What do you think? I whispered back, it's network television. Order the lobster. I love Ellen, but enough about her. Let's get back to her superhero, her mom, Sarah Barnes. Hey there, can you hear me? Well, thanks for doing this. <laughs> yeah, no problem. I'm not sure how I can help, but let's, I'm willing to give it a go. She's the strongest woman I know. She is the smartest woman I know. She's the most capable. Your daughter speaks <laughs> very, very, very highly of you, and that took, me, that, that, that took me straight by the heart because I speak highly of my mother as well. Oh, good, good. She can do it all. Like, I can't think of anything where... My mom hasn't been able to accomplish it or where she's failed. I'm sure she would say, oh, I failed plenty of times. But but to me, I look at her, I'm like, she can do everything, almost to an annoying degree. <laughs> well, I'm glad I, I'm, I'm glad I finally got through. <laughs> it, it took me years of trying. <laughs> when I first spoke to Sarah on the phone, I found myself picturing a practical but poised woman having just come in from the garden to see what else needed tending to. She has that sunshiny southern joy in her voice that lets you know her home is a place of welcome, but cross her at your own peril. She has the same appreciation for the absurd humor of our world, which she passed on to her daughter. So anyway, so tell me about your project. What you want me to tell you about that fateful uh, event? Is that, yeah. <laughs> is that where we go? Like I remember in, in high school, when I was a freshman, there was homecoming and uh, an upperclassman his name she came in one day from her freshman year and said announced that she was going to be asked by to go to senior prom i'm like no you're a freshman you're not you're not going to senior prom it's like blood in the water it's like chumming the water i'm not you know you're a freshman i know exactly what's going through their mind and sorry you're not going to senior prom and wait, wait so, can I stop you for a second First of all, was it because he was yeah. or because he was older? Oh, all of the, I mean, it was like the perfect storm. I mean, he's in a huge position of power. He was, um, you know, he competed in the rodeo. So he had the stable of horses. He had a beautiful ranch that he lived on. And then, y you know, he's, he's a senior and he's cute. And here she is, this 14 year old, you know, blonde girl who is, um, so excited that a senior would be asking her to prom, not really thinking through what some of the motivations for that could be, you know? It's like, oh my God. Anyway, so I was like, okay, I gotta, I gotta figure this out. I'm gonna, you know, talk to the other moms because she's telling me that all the moms are letting their daughters go, their freshman daughters go to senior prom. So I called some moms together. My mom was like, say, so we're all going to agree that our daughters can't go to homecoming because it was an upperclassman dance and um, they're too young. They're 14. They're freshmen. So we're all, I just want to make sure we're all on the same page. And we all like 
totally in solidarity. This is not happening. Yes, it's not a good thing. You know, maybe next year, maybe as sophomores, we threw ourselves that little bone, you know, like, okay, maybe sophomores will will think it through and we'll tell them that. And uh, my daughter was upset with me, obviously. I was like, Mom, you're ruining my life. But, you know, I told her about the situation that we'd all met. Nobody's going to prom. So, you know, chill. Everybody was in complete agreement at the time. Sure enough, all the other girls got asked, and their moms were like, you should go, you should go. So she so she goes to school the next day. She comes back in, and she's like, I lied to her. Everybody else is going to prom. They all got asked. They all had accepted. You know, she's in tears. I'm the worst mom ever. And my mom was like, no, you're 14. You're not going. So, but I was really taken aback. And... um I didn't know what to do. So, like, I, I was, we weren't speaking at the time, I'm sure. And I called her dad, and I told him the situation, and he agreed with me, like, this isn't happening. You know, that's not, a, it's not, it's not right. She shouldn't be going with to prompts. But let's do this. And I remember her going, and my parents were divorced at this time, uh, but her saying, he's going to have to, he's going to have to bring you home drop you off, come inside, and talk to us. So I told her this, you know, that this was our compromise. Could come over and meet us one day. And then I'll think about it. And I was like, oh, mom, no one else's mom is making them do this. This is so embarrassing. Because my mom's from the South. And so I felt like, oh, mom, you just don't understand. Like, you just don't get it. And she and she talked to And I was like, um... My mom said, you have to, like, give me a ride home and, like, go meet my parents. <laughs> and he was like, okay. And so he drove me home. And my mom told my dad, like, hey, you're going to come over. I, it didn't really give you all the tough talk that Charlie had beforehand. You know, like, that's not happening. I'm telling, you know, all this stuff. My daughter, blah, blah, blah. I'll protect her, you know. And my dad, I'm sure, was, like, talking a big talk. Like, I'm going to give him a piece of my mind. Like, he's not going to go anywhere near my daughter. And my mom baked cookies. And I'd make chocolate chip cookies. I was like, okay. I'm going to kill him with kindness. I mean, I am from the South. You're probably dying I'm dying. Right oh, my God. I'm dying. I forget. There was some Steve Carell movie where the daughter was like, you're a murderer of love. And I feel like I was like that in that moment. I was, you know, so was like, my life is over. <laughs> he came in and we had a really, you know, nice conversation and everything and just normal stuff. Tell us about yourself, you know, all that kind of thing. I mean, he's like Eddie Haskell to a certain extent. I don't know if you know who Eddie Haskell is. For those of you who don't know who Eddie Haskell is, he was a character on the 1950s TV show Leave It to Beaver, the quintessential neighborhood kid who was always just a little too polite in front of the adults in that way that makes you feel like, that kid's got something up his sleeve. Yeah, that guy. And then it was going well, Ellen thought. And I was like, oh, yeah. You know, I want some cookies, and so we have cookies, and I'm just like, oh, what's going to happen? So at that point, everybody was fine. You know, oh, Charlie okay. was there. Everybody was there. You know, we're talking. Everything is fine. And then Ellen goes, she went to show the barn. I thought, like, okay, we got through that. That wasn't, like, that bad. My mom didn't do anything too embarrassing. So they go outside to the barn, and Charlie looks at me, her, her dad, and goes, well, you know, he seems kind of like a kind of nice guy. I'm like, What? I mean, it's like, it doesn't matter that he's a nice guy. You know, this can't happen. And so I'm like, you've got to tell him. You've got to back me up. And he's like, mm. And it is like he just disappeared. And I'm standing there going, oh, my God. 
oh my God. So, so they come back in and they were, they came back in from the barn. They'd only been gone like 10 minutes or whatever. And he came back in, Ellen's beaming and they get to the door and I've got no backup now. You know, my wingman is gone. He is just like. Like, it was all talk. He's like, <laughs> all talk. He's like, uh, Sarah's got this. And like hiding in the other room under the table, probably. It's like, he's gone. Just gone. And so he comes in. I meet him at the door. And he's going to, he's just meeting me at the door at that point to just say goodbye. He didn't see any point in coming back in. And I didn't see any point in inviting him back in. So he was coming. He said, goodbye. It was really nice meeting you. You know, tell you know, Mr. Waglum. At that point, he was my Eddie Haskell. And um, so Ellen came in and I said, hey, one thing. And then my mom's like, can I, um, can I talk to you for a second outside? And he goes, yeah. And I said, in your car. And I was like, oh my God. So my mom takes him outside. She get like, he gets in the car, she gets in the passenger seat. And I shut the door. And I'm telling you, before the door clicked, you know, he knew, he knew this was not good. And I just said, I just want to let you know that um, we've agreed now that you seem like a nice guy. And if you want to take my daughter to prom, just let me let me just tell you a couple of things. I said, first of all, I'm going to be a chaperone. I'm going to be there the whole time. I said, second of all, if you so much as lay a hand on my daughter, I'll, I'll turn you into the police. I said, you're over 18. She is 14. And I know exactly what you want. You want sex with my daughter. And it's not happening on my watch. I didn't know that at the time. I was like, what are they talking about? And then I just said, okay, we're done here. And I got out of the car. I didn't say anything else. I didn't wait for him to say anything. And he left. So I went in and told Ellen. She asked me, what'd you say? I said, I told him he could take you to the room. (laughs) (laughs) So then she goes to school the next day. Sure enough, he he no longer wanted to take me to homecoming. And uh, she came back in tears. And she was like crying like i hate you you've ruined my life like now all these other class i'm just like oh my god wait did he, he did he disinvite you mm-hmm. to- <laughs> i'm not going to prom he won't ask me to prom he's told everyone in school that my mom is psycho and i said oh l that is perfect <laughs> i said this is working out better than i thought i was just like Oh, I was mortified, mortified. I was so mortified. (laughs) And she's so mad. I said, I'm glad everybody. I hope they all think I'm psycho. And that was really the end of the story, except, you know, I had however many more years of dealing (laughs) with mother-daughter relationships. She must have scared the living hell out of you. Yeah, yeah. Or his intentions were exactly what she thought they were. Well, yeah, they probably were. They probably were, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I I can't believe after all these years she's she's telling somebody that it, it might have been a good thing that I did that because she's never given me any credit I was a complete embarrassment. <laughs> well, now, but it's pretty cute that she told you this story. It made me laugh. Well, now what what was your prom experience like? Oh no, I'm gonna have to admit this. Oh, that's a funny question. I started dating. A junior when I was in a fourteen, and I went to senior prom. <laughs> you did not. Yes, I did. Did you tell her? No, I didn't think of it until you just brought it up. <laughs> <laughs> You're not going to break this to her, are you? Hey, how are you? Good, good. <laughs> oh yes, oh yes, I am. <laughs> what? 
Yeah. No. Yes. What a little hypocrite. <laughs> how, how have I never known that all these years? Uh-huh. Oh, really? Interesting. I'm going to have to call her about that. We reached out to for a comment, but we didn't hear back. My real life superhero? Oh, it's got to be my wife. Hi. This is Mike and Rachel Moe. Mike plays Triton in our show. He regularly had to show up at 3.30 in the morning to begin a very elaborate makeup process. It speaks to his patience and his good humor. Together, he and Rachel represent one of the cutest couples you will ever meet. Because she juggles way more than I could ever handle. You know, on days that I think I'm busy, you know, when I've got auditions and I'm teaching martial arts classes and I'm watching the kids and doing this, like, she does it every day. And, you know, while, while we're in Hawaii filming, mothers of the world, you know, they've got to get stuff done. It's crazy, yeah. So without her, my life is in shambles. So she's definitely my superhero. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> he did not give me that update. <laughs> That's all right. Wow. Wow. I guess, you know, it feels good to be considered that. I think it feels, you know, very, um, I feel honored that he would think that of me. It's disgusting, isn't it? And don't worry. It only gets sweeter. Uh, we met in, when I was 12. She was 15. And we were, uh, I just started martial arts and she was already a black belt. And I looked at her and I was like, yeah. She's she's uh, my cup of tea. I had no idea at that time, you know, because we're you know three and a half. I'll say that he always says four years different, so I'm I'm older than he is, um, and so I think you know back when you were younger like that, that makes a big difference, and you kind of just don't uh, look at each other that way, or I don't look, I didn't look at him that way. Yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, like I never realistically thought I had a chance until I got older, and. Uh, I don't know. I, I, I still don't really know how it happened. It just... I had come back to Minnesota for a reunion for people from our martial arts school. So we did Taekwondo together for a very long time and we had kind of this reunion. I kind of realized, oh, he's not kind of the little Mike anymore. He's <laughs> a very handsome man. So I went out to visit her. She was living in LA at the time and um, I, th I thought we were just hanging out as friends and I guess she was like interested. So I think she might have gotten me drunk. We actually went to Universal Studios CityWalk, which is funny because you guys just had the premiere there. Um, so we went there and we went to this uh, piano bar that they have there called Howl at the Moon um, because he, you know, we both enjoy kind of going out and music and um, comedy. So kind of have that all in one. Uh, they may have slightly large and strong drinks there that may have contributed to our relationship going further, but <laughs> I know those drinks well. Yes. <laughs> That's, I figured as soon as I said, howl at the moon, if people know that place, they probably know, uh, yeah, what goes on there. <laughs> if, if anything, we're a, a, like a superhero team, I think is probably the best way to say it. So our superhero powers probably don't work without each other. It's one of those like wonder twins activate, right? <laughs> you need each other to, to have them to work. So careful now that's DC. Oh, sorry, sorry. 
<laughs> Gotta get it straight. I need to do more research. <sighs> Makes your heart happy, doesn't it? That was Mike and Rachel Moe. Next. My superhero. Um, I, I think I have to... I, I mean, I, I think both my parents have been superheroes. This is Ewan Reon. He and I play warring brothers on our show. But unlike our on-screen animosity, my time getting to know Ewan was one of the best parts of my time on The Inhumans. A lot of people have asked me, is Ewan at all like Ramsey? Ramsey Bolton, in case you've been buried in ice, is the iconic villain Awan played in the hit TV series Game of Thrones. And most are surprised to hear me say, not one stitch. Awan is, and I hope he doesn't mind me using this word, a lovely guy. He has a tremendous sense of humor, a strong work ethic, and respect for every professional working around him. It's no surprise, he had good parents. What yeah. did they do for you and your brother that was... So important. I think they were just always there. I just never remember. I, I just, I just don't ever remember not having them there, you know. And it was just any time I, if I needed something, and I think, well, to this day, you know, I'm, if I needed them, they'd be there, um, which is an amazing feeling. And I'm really lucky because it means that um, if it all goes wrong tomorrow, I can always, I always know I've got that, you know, and it's, it gives it's it gives you an enormous sense of like confidence and strength in the world that you know that and my dad's amazing because he's like you'll go to france right and you'll bump into people that he knows in a you know it's like how do you know people here like he, how dad everywhere we go he's actually got like some weird thing he just knows everyone which is great you know and everyone kind of loves him so he's obviously a bit of a legend which he is um yeah <laughs> And my mum's just, it's just her strength. And the way she spoke to us when we were children and, and, and young adults and um, the education that we got from her. She wasn't uh, afraid to talk about things. And it's really benefited m me and my brother hugely that um, we have open minds. That's what I would, I mean, they're both a great, they were a great team and they, they did, did a great job. I tend to agree. When we come back after this short break, you'll be hearing more revelations about more superheroes. She was the most incredible, graceful, elegant, articulate, badass woman I've ever met. Hey, Brandon. Hey, Hanson. Have you ever written a review for anything? Yes. What? Actually, no, I wrote a review of a review. What? Yeah, I wrote a review of some guy who was complaining about Chinese music in a Japanese restaurant. And I thought, what the hell is your problem? <laughs> so you wrote a review? This bothers you? Yes. I'm like, you should not be reviewing things. Your opinion <laughs> is worthless. And did somebody review you? I think the restaurant thanked me. <laughs> 
well, we're new and we need reviews yes. for the well. So if you like our show, do us a favor, go to iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you download your podcasts and give us a review. It helps us to be on the front page of those places and we'd really appreciate it. Does it count if someone reviews the review that someone else leaves us? Does that add to our review count? That's a good question. This just becomes a comment thread, though. We should ask that Chinese restaurant. Yeah. And then, and then it becomes a fight. <laughs> Next up, she's the force of nature we all call Serinda Swan. And I don't use that phrase lightly. Sorinda is possessed with the most intense joie de vivre I have ever seen. She's an entrepreneur, an avid hiker, a motorcycle enthusiast, a dog lover, a voracious reader. Suffice it to say, Sorinda doesn't stop. She's even figured out a way to fight child sex trafficking by convincing people to jump out of airplanes. I'm not joking. In fact, we hope to one day do it as an episode. On a beautiful May day in Honolulu, Sorinda and I sat in her living room overlooking the ocean and sipping our favorite afternoon refreshment, iced coffee with coconut milk. And I asked her the question. Who is your superhero? My grandmother. Really? Oh, yeah. Why? Phyllis Swan. She helped raise me. Uh, my parents split up and, and when I was four, um, and I was with my dad. And so I, uh, my dad was working 10 one, 2 to 5, 6 to 9. And so she picked me up and drove me to my gymnastics and made me tortellinis and then let me play in the dirt and then made me get dressed up and know which fork was which. Like to describe who she was is like she was the type of woman that she she treated me like a princess but reminded me of the humility that you need to have. I mean this is the thing. I remember when she she bought me this white suit when I was probably like 12. And it was like a white pair of capris and this beautifully tailored white suit jacket. There's not an 11 year old child out there that needs this, especially not like a tomboy like I was. Um, and I put it on and I just changed. And I like my posture changed, my body changed and all of that. And I was like, oh, I love it. And she was like, okay. Okay, well we, I think it was like something ridiculous at the time. I think it was like $200, which like, I mean, doesn't sound crazy now, I guess, but like, like, I mean, that was it's 20. A lot of money. It's yeah. a lot of money and that was yeah. 20 years ago. And this is for a kid's suit. And it was, I think, I mean, and knowing what I did, I like played rugby at the time. Like this was not what I would wear. And I think, and my grandmother's like, all right, well, you're gonna, you'll work it off and you can have it. And I remember being like, oh my, like, are you sure? And she was like, yes, because the way that you hold yourself in it, you need to know that feeling. You need to hold yourself in that way with or without that suit. But until you learn it, you're gonna wear the suit. And then once you know it, you'll probably have grown out of it and that'll be fine. And I wore that suit. I, I had that suit jacket for, God, I feel like I still have it somewhere in like one of my things. <laughs> but she was that type of woman that just, you know, I think she was like 92 and I took her up the gondola at Grouse Mountain in Vancouver. I was like, let's go on a day trip, grandma. Of course. And I'm like, let's go on a gondola. And then we got up to the top of the gondola and she was like, how do we get up to the peak? And I was like, well, you have to ride like a, like a ski chair, but like, or like a chairlift, but like the open kind. And she was like, like to do that so we we waited in line and they look at us and I'm holding on to my grandmother and my boyfriend at the time has the other side of her and they're like 
okay, we're doing this. So they stop the chair and everybody on it. And then we put grandma on there and we do the full circle because we don't get off because that would just be a nightmare. Um, and we do the full circle and she's so quiet during all of it. I was like, Grandma, are you okay? And we just come around. So we've been looking up the mountain on the way up and we come down on the way down. And you can see all of Vancouver and the oceans and the mountains and all of that. And she stopped and she just said, when you get older, you stop making memories because you stop being able to move. You, you start, everything starts to shrink. You know, how far you can go shrinks. The walks you take, the moments you have. And everything becomes very familiar. And that's not what life is about. Life is about adventuring. So sometimes at night, you fall asleep so easily because you have nothing keeping you up. And that can be a good thing and that can be a bad thing. And she said, and there's sometimes that you just wake up in the middle of the night and there's nothing new. And she said, this is what I'm gonna wake up and think about. She's like, this view, this moment. She's like, being able to see this is what I now get to think of and I now get to have as a new memory. She's just so cool. She's so cool. I'll, I'll show you a picture of her. You'll get it. You'll, you'll get it. When you see her, you get it. She's we'll just... We'll have to put a picture of her on the Oh, website. you will. Phyllis Swan. My bike. My motorcycle is named Phyllis. Oh, really? Yeah, we you call her Phil. You named your motorcycle after I grandma. Named, yeah, after grandma. The, her, name's, her name's Phyllis, but we call her Phil on the streets. Her, her street name is Phil. Sorinda Swan and her grandmother, who would one day have a motorcycle named after her, Phyllis. Hey. Hey, can you hear me okay? Yeah, is, uh, do you want audio or video? Uh, I'm just recording audio, but that's fine. This is Sonia Balmoris. She plays Oren in our show, a tough, homicidal enforcer who doesn't like being touched. But Sonia herself couldn't be more different. The first time I asked her about her husband, she got the most ridiculous grin on her face, and I think she even turned red. So, I, I think I remember us talking about this. Mm -hmm. You're a superhero. <laughs> What's up, man? How's it going? Hey, Kanoa. How's it, how's it feel to be a superhero? Pretty amazing. I'm actually pretty honored. My wife unveiled that to me. This is Sonia's husband, Kanoa Chung. While Sonia pursues her acting career in Los Angeles, Kanoa is there studying to take his architecture exam. Their dream is to move home to Kauai in a couple of years so Kanoa can open his own firm. And Sonia, what, what are your husband's superpowers? Oh, Kanoa has the power to heal me when I'm broken and depressed. And he has the power to make me laugh. And I guess I just, it's really... Cheesy, but I love my husband. And if you think hearing this is cute, try seeing it on Skype. If I wasn't in love myself, I'd be gagging. So I have to ask Kanoa, Kanoa, who's your superhero? Wow. Um, you could say your dad if you yeah, want Yeah, I would probably say my dad's my superhero. For one, he's an amazing surfer, um, kind of a world-class big wave surfer. And he's always kind of marched his own beat. He's really kind of, yeah, made a name for himself not trying as, as an amazing big wave surfer, but also a person. Um, a lot of people, I think, just look to him naturally for counsel just because they see someone that's so confident and um, not afraid just to do things, do things right. Um, and to me, that's really kind of something that I've, I've grown up 
seeing and, and try to really kind of embody that. But like in context, your dad is 63 yeah. and surfing 60 foot waves. Like he's a monster. His nickname's the monster. <laughs> well, and what's his real name? Terry, Terry Chung. Okay, Terry, I hope you're listening. Definitely proud of my pops. You know, I'm honored to be his son. Next up, M.A. Akuakor. We saved what is maybe the best of these superhero stories for last. That's because the story you're about to hear set this whole episode into motion when I was interviewing M.A. on another subject and he independently volunteered his superhero. We'll get to that in a moment. M.A. plays Gorgon on our show. He's a big guy, athletic, easy to laugh, and he has a huge heart, a quality made ironic by the story you're about to hear. M.A. and his siblings are first-generation Americans. Their parents emigrated from Nigeria back in the 1970s. But when Killian and Patricia first came to the United States, they didn't end up anywhere near the major Nigerian enclaves in this country. How did they end up in Colorado? Because my dad, uh, he got a scholarship um, to a school called the School of Mines. He's a geophysicist. So after he got married, uh, he took the scholarship to Golden, Colorado, which is hilarious because you go from a place that's Nigeria, super hot, to Golden, Colorado, where I don't think there's a minority in sight and you see snow. (laughs) Everything was just uh, different. Uh, The language was uh, different. The accents were different. Uh, Going to school was different. The level of cold or the snow, the people around were different. Everything was different. Yeah. Whenever I talk about my dad, it's kind of emotional, but... um, Why is that? Because he's a a superhero to me. Really? I think he's the greatest. Well, I don't consider myself a hero, so... Well, he he certainly thinks of you as one. Okay. M.A. told me that he and his brother used to get into a lot of trouble when they were younger. They were not bad kids, but they were very adventurous. (laughs) (laughs) He has probably like the kindest heart and and the biggest sacrifice. Like this is a guy that his business partner stole his, his business from when we were kids. And I never heard my dad complain about it. He just showed up every day and, and, and fought hard and, and never complained. Um, I've never heard my dad talk bad about anybody. He's, he's like, I, I always say that like, if I just end up being the half a man that he is, then I'd be an amazing human. Oh, I don't know why, why he would say that. <laughs> I don't know. It was his 70th birthday this last summer. And he told, us, told me a story about how he was in Nigeria because now he's in Nigeria teaching at a college. He said this guy came up to him. And Nigeria is super dangerous, especially with like Boko Haram and all that other stuff. And he said a guy came up to him with a gun and he pulled it out and he was about to basically shoot up this, this place. Yeah, I, I didn't back away, you know. I wasn't, I wasn't, uh, I wasn't scared, but I did not, I did not panic. And my dad stepped in front of him and this guy was, you know, six kids, wife at home, um, and he says, what are you doing? And he's like, don't, don't mind me, to, uh, go back to what you're doing. And he's like, no, I know what you're gonna do. 
And uh, he said, get out of my way. And he's like, no, I'm not going to get out of my get out of your way. And he says, if you don't get in my way, I'm going to shoot you. Yeah, he threatened to shoot and I said, okay, you can shoot if you want to. And he's like, well, shoot me, but you're not going to shoot these people. You know, so I just told him to get out, get out. Then he finally got the guy to turn around. So like my dad sacrificed his body to stop a possible mass shooting. And, you know, that's just kind of the nature of who my dad is. Um, like there's just there's just so much respect for, for that man. And, and, he, and, he, and he, can he, he, he pushes it down to us, uh, especially that like never complaining, no matter how tough your situation is. Mm-hmm. Um, especially this, because I, um, I, I, I had a heart attack when I was 21. I had like four of them um, when oh I was God, in college. Oh my God, what happened? Um, just kind of like certain genetic stuff. And okay. um, my dad, basically, he, he I just, because my dad went to like every, kind of clinic we went to Mayo Clinic he took me there and just sat there he he was resilient like I remember my dad had to just pick up a second job at that time um Mayo Clinic's just, not cheap yeah it's not and but but then my dad for his kid is like it wasn't even like it was a decision it was just like if you uh if, are you married I'm engaged okay you're engaged yeah <laughs> um yeah if you have a child who is that sick yeah, you would do everything that you could, you know, to save your to save your child. It doesn't matter how much it is. I want to make sure whatever he's going through, we find out answers. That's all he cared about. Like that's literally all he cared about. Mm-hmm. And it didn't care how much it was. It didn't matter what it was. He was going to make sure that we were making the best decision moving forward. And I never heard him complain. I never heard him say a single thing. I never even heard him say, "Oh, I just remembered a, a story about him. Go ahead. Um, he, um, so every single, so, you know, growing up um, around on, on Christmas time, mm. uh, we, we, me and my siblings, we'd always, we'd always sleep by the tree uh, because we always wanted to catch Santa. And every single year, no matter what happened, we would pass out at some point. I don't know when it happened. I think they drugged us or something. We'd pass out. <laughs> uh, Christmas decorations were uh, the foreign activity. You know what I mean by foreign? That is, it wasn't something we were used to uh, before we came here. But once we came here and we knew that it was, it was, it was something that needed to be done for the kids, you know. And I thought it was just a sweet tr- transition where um, I, mean, I was sleeping on the couch in the living room and I see my dad uh, in the middle of the night, Christmas Eve, probably like three o'clock in the morning. And I see him, because we didn't set up the tree yet. And I see him just like walking up to the tree, like sneaking around, decorating the tree. Like he's just decorating the tree and I'm just watching him do this. Even though that nobody's asked him to do it, but like my niece was there and you just see him setting up and he like, he steps back looks over his work, goes back in, and keeps doing it, keeps doing it. And I think I watched him for like an hour. Hmm. And the greatest thing that happened was when I woke up in the morning and we're going through the day, he never mentioned it. Because he doesn't do it for recognition. How old were you? Last year. 
the 31. <laughs> this was last year. <laughs> no, wait, this is December. No, this is the same age. I'm, I just happened in December. This, I was 32 years old when this happened. Our thanks for this episode of The Well go out to my castmates for making this happen and Marvel Entertainment for bringing us all together. Special thanks for this episode go out to Sarah Barnes, Kanoa Chung, Rachel Moe, Kilina Kuokor, and all of our superheroes. That goes for you too, Mom. The Well is produced, recorded, and edited by Brandon Edgens and myself, Anson Mount. Theme music by Jonathan Myberg. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you download your podcasts. And if you really like us, give us a review. We'd appreciate it. Have a great week. Did she tell you what happened after after this debacle? No. Oh, okay. So you just have to know this part too. Ellen had a prom night in the emergency room. We had emergency appendectomy appendectomy surgery prom night. Oh, yep. Yep, my appendectomy. Yep. Yep. So the next day, you know, when that all they were like all these prom pictures, I had the pictures of Ellen's appendix cuz you know they do the camera thing now. Yeah, those are my prom pictures. Yep. So I'm like, well, here are your prom pictures. <laughs> she was in the hospital for four days. Literally on prom night, she had an emergency surgery. Prom really was not a, I never got to go. I have four, yeah, four prom dresses. I mean, I don't have them anymore, but I had them sitting in the closet at my mom's house that I never got to wear. <laughs> oh, and I was like, see, I was right all along. You should not have gone to prom. <laughs> uh, oh, Ellen.